problem solver, coach, mentor, supportive, and open to new ideas. There's a lot of research around leadership skills and they are the, the, the core skills that doesn't matter what you are afterwards in terms of if you're in HR or if you're in tech or whatever, these are the core skills every leader has to have. Welcome back, everyone. It's that Venture Business Podcast. We've been gone for a while and we have been out of your feeds, but we're back with a whole new cast of characters, all new entrepreneurs telling us their stories about their journeys and how they got to where they are today. You know my voice. I'm Rob Fitzhugh. I'm the host from FilmSmart Pro. And this week we're chatting to Sharon DeMille. Sharon DeMille has a really interesting job. She's a cross-cultural leadership coach and training that focuses primarily on future leaders. We have an amazing chat about what it takes to be a leader, her journey to getting to where she is, what it takes to recognize future leaders, and that's really important. And she breaks down her process and her approach to leadership training. Without further ado, let's get chatting to Sharon DeMille. I set up my business about three years ago, and I specialize in leadership coaching and intercultural coaching and training. Um, but it's not leadership coaching for the C-suite. It's leadership coaching for up-and-coming leaders. So it's aimed at, 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 at sort of a, a younger generation of, 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 of kind of fledgling leaders. So they might necessarily be in a leadership role yet, but is it gearing them up for that position? Exactly. So I tend to work with tech companies. So very often they have young team leaders who are stepping up into a management role or taking over a team. And they're going from that managing the work to actually managing performance and managing people and very often client relationships as well. So I help them to accelerate that um, period from being a subject matter expert into a more managerial role. And what attracted you to that? How did you end up in, in, in a position of, of leadership training, but geared specifically towards, we'd say, fledgling leaders, Well, for, for lack of a better phrase? Like, how did it end up there in that specific yeah. niche? I know um, it's a, I guess it's a, it's a really interesting question and it goes back to the days when I was um, when I left school in the late 80s in Ireland there was a recession and I come from a big family so college wasn't an option for me so I went straight I went working straight away and I started in a big insurance company I started in the typing pool and I had a lot of ambition I I was smart but um, I studied at night so after a couple of years, I ended up going from the typing pool to company car. So I ended up managing people that I work, I'm sorry, typing, managing people that I used to type for. So that's why um, I'm stepping into that role. I was really technically good at what I did, but I had no idea how to manage people who were older than me, how to manage people who were my buddies, um, how to manage uh, conflict, how to manage performance. And I think when I was looking to pivot my career, I decided to do something that for me made a lot of sense and I felt that I could really help. And did you find, and do you find, I'm sure you do because you have a career in it now, but even you're saying, uh, you know, when you were late 80s, early 90s, when you went straight into the workforce, do you find that those soft skills that are required um, very much how to deal with your peers, how to manage, um, because there's a lot of personality management that comes with with being a leader outside of just telling people what to do or, or, or guiding people on what to do there's a lot of dealing with egos there's a lot of dealing with different people do you find those soft skills have been somewhat neglected even this entire time even as you go in and you teach 
so even as you go in to talk to people now, um, do you find that th those soft skills are, 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 are skill sets that people aren't equipped with? Sadly, yes. Um, I think that, you know, a lot of young graduates or young people who are out of just out of university, um, they aren't taught in school how to, you know, deal with the people aspect of things. The focus is very much on the technical side. And when you're recruiting people straight out of college, that's just what you want is you want those technical expertise. But for most people, the natural career progression involves managing people. And on, if they've been fortunate enough to have a really good uh, manager and they've seen and experienced what good management looks like, um, but that isn't always the case. Um, but also what happens is that people try and mimic others and they end up just tying themselves up in knots, trying to be like what they think leadership looks like from their limited experience and perspective. And instead of actually looking at, well, who are they and how do they show up as a leader? Um, what are their strengths? What are their unique attributes that actually make them suitable for the role? And I think that we make this mistake that leadership has only one well, it only looks one way when in fact it doesn't. You know, organizations need all kinds of leadership. They need people who are good at getting results. They need people who are good at change. They need people who are good at people. They need people who are good with clients. And sometimes you can have somebody who's exceptional and be a blend of all of those, or you have somebody, more, most people are really, really strong in one or, one or two areas. Um, but what I find is that even more experienced leaders, they, wouldn't, they aren't able to articulate what it is about their leadership style that makes them good. So what I do is I help younger people to kind of unpack it, what they're, they already have signs, there's already leadership moments in their life, be it at university, collaborating on projects or with their team. Maybe there's somebody who always makes sure that, you know, everybody gets to talk at the table. Maybe there's somebody who's really good at making sure that recognition is given when it's due. Um, maybe there's somebody who's really good at working with clients. Um, and those natural attributes are shining through all the time, but they don't recognize them as leadership quality qualities. It's funny you mentioned that about mimicking styles. I remember I had a, a manager, a lovely guy, really good, and a very good manager, to be fair to him. But I, I remember he used to use my name in meetings. And I was having this conversation with my partner today, and, and he used my name in a way that felt like he had done a course that had said, you know, to reinforce something or to engage with someone, you need to use their name. So in one-on-one in -on -one conversations, I found he would use my name an, an uncomfortably large amount to the point where I was like, this feels like something you've, you're, you, you were told is a good thing to do, but it's making me feel uncomfortable because you keep saying it in a really unorganic way. It'd be like, hey, Robert, good stuff, Robert. Yeah, Robert, Robert, Robert. And I was like, nobody, not even my mother uses my full name this much. <laughs> uh, so it's just, it was always something that, maybe it was, it was just always something that felt not very organic and felt like, you know, like kind of, you know, when somebody puts their hand on your shoulder and they, they're not comfortable doing that, it felt very much like, you know, you know, that kind of, I, this is something people do. So this is something I will do. Do you find, uh, I, need, so I know from personal experience and anecdotal experience, I understand the damage that, because a workplace is often, oftentimes a workplace, if, uh, not all workplaces, but a lot of times workplaces function on, you know, there's a lot of times a lot of poor communication in work, workplaces, we'll say. So stuff doesn't filter down correctly. People are left with no information. So vacuums form where people fill in these gaps themselves. Sometimes I've found in, in previous workplaces that it breeds, if a workforce is unhappy, it breeds an, an element of, of, of discontent. And, and then when you 
take someone who who might necessarily have those skill sets to manage people. They might be a very technical person and you put them in a team. I can I've seen instances where that has kind of ravaged a team in the sense that it's destroyed morale and things like that. Do you find with the people that you work with, I mean, do you predominantly work with 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 is is your goal predominantly to work with these up and coming leaders or do you find yourself going in to work with people who are already established in that position and are looking for help kind of reorientating themselves? I guess it's a mixture of both. Um, I think what's really unusual now is that we're seeing the Sorry. reluctant... Pardon, I'll just get you to say that again. Hold on a second. Jonah. Jonah. Sorry, he sits on the floor behind me. He's normally very quiet. Um, sorry, I get you to say that again. Sorry, you were saying you think that you find... Yeah. I think um, well, one of the things that it's not everybody is, you know, very good at communicating or it's not, they, they don't need to say many words, shall we say. And I think what's really interesting is that it's not just our personalities that impact on what good or bad communication looks like. It's also culture as well. Um, and people, you know, they say, oh, I, I, I'm working actually with a couple of guys at the moment and neither of them actually are really yes, this is, I really want this and I'm delighted to be doing this. They're a bit what I call reluctant leaders because the organization has a big issue around uh, recruitment and retention. So they, they have the experience, but they don't feel like they're, going, they're, they're good enough to lead. But I always think that people forget that communication is a two-way thing. And one, it's, one part is speaking, but the other part is actually listening. And when you are somebody who's not really comfortable doing all the talking, for me, that's a superpower because it means that you're already really good at something that's essential and that is listening to people. And when you say that to people, all of a sudden they go, oh, I, you know, I thought I had to do all the talking all the time. And they don't realize that um, actually it's people want is they want to, you to ask them questions, but they want to, that you're listening and paying attention and that you care about what their needs are and that you're there to support them. And it's by reframing what communication looks like. I think that could be incredibly empower, uh, powerful for, um, shall we say, leaders who's, who feel communication is not their, their strength. But when you talk about, you know, the impact of people not communicating, um, a lot of that, that can be a number of different issues. It could be that they themselves are not clear on what the goals and objectives of the organization are. It could be that they're, they're just too busy, that the focus is on doing and not being in the organization. It's about ticking boxes um, and that the company doesn't value the people themselves and see them as a huge, you can have the most amazing product in the world, but if your people don't believe in it, if they don't believe in your organization, if they don't feel valued, they don't feel listened to, then you, you will not succeed in the way that you really potentially can. Um, so for me, the reason I also like working with these young emerging leaders is that I see them as power engine. You know, you can have the most amazing C-suite, but if the people are actually doing the work, do not feel empowered and listen to, um, I think you're running into big problems. And, and just when you're talking about the, the, the kind of empowering staff, how often is it that you find yourself where you're, you, you have somebody who's, who's probably got capable leadership skills? But that bumps up against, because I'd imagine sometimes the culture in a business, I'd imagine some organizations, organizations sometimes want to pay lip service to this idea of we're going to train up managers. 
but sometimes that comes head to head with the reality of the business and how it's run and the culture that's there. And is there ever situations where you have someone who's kind of floundering, not because they're, they lack necessarily the skill sets to proceed, but that the culture and the hierarchy of the business doesn't allow for them to, I suppose, stretch themselves in that direction. I think it's how you look at it. You know, when people work with me, um, one of the big struggles that I find that um, these future leaders or emerging leaders have is around delegating, you know, because, you know, some, for some people, they love the fact that they get calls from recruiters every second day. And, and what recruiters are looking for, the algorithm is their, their technical skills. Um, but what happens with people who take on more management roles, they're moving further and further away from the very thing that makes them employable. Because there's, you know, that's what's happening is that the companies, the algorithms are searching for these, these key technical skills and they're constantly offering them pay rises and better, you know, basically better money. But what they're not offering them necessarily are developmental opportunities. Um, and it's really interesting. There was a study done by Culture Amp and they, they looked at 1,200 companies. And what they found was the reason why people left companies is 11% was about pay, 12% uh, was about the manager, 28% was about the leadership of the organization, and 60% was because there was no development, personal development happening in the organization. But when you learn to delegate and to empower, then you're looking at not just looking as a manager what needs to be done, but you're looking at what are the key strengths of my team and what are their interests, what are their passions, how can I make sure that I'm giving them work that actually helps them to develop and grow and not be in, you know, we talk about comfort zones, um, but putting people into these anxiety zones where they're so stretched that they just flounder and feel overwhelmed. It's looking at how can we stretch, put them into a stretch zone so they're kind of have one foot in the comfort zone and one foot in the, in the new area so they don't feel overwhelmed. And it's how you look, it's the, how you reframe it and how you look at it is really, really important. Um, and it's getting people to think a little bit differently um, and stepping away from you know, just what we're doing, what we have to get this done, we have to get this done, is looking at, well, how can we help them grow and develop and get the work done at the same time? And that's it, 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 it's when you, so when you are, your process, so when you go, I mean, are you contacted because somebody, is it that somebody wants to, how do I, how do I put this? Is it that somebody wants to be able to improve themselves or is it like, are you going in then? Are you identifying, how do you identify somebody's skill sets? Like what's so their process? Generally, generally what happens is that um, companies approach me and say, listen, um, we have identified a couple of young um, team leaders who we want to step into a more managerial role. So people I've worked with are stepping up from managing a team of three to five to maybe managing four or five different teams or even becoming a country leader. And um, because the companies I work with are scale-ups and they're looking to grow and that means going into new markets. And the other side of my coaching is, leader, is in, in addition to leadership, is cultural awareness and cultural competencies. Um, and if you're, you know, somebody in Serbia and you're managing somebody from Pakistan and Dublin and somewhere somewhere else, how does culture impact on your team? Um, because how, you know, biz, people talk about culture for, for a very long time was the realms of academia. Um, and, you know, we don't realize that culture impacts how we give feedback, how we, how we give negative feedback, more importantly, how we communicate what it looks like, um, how we build, build trust with people. 
Um, you know, so building trust can be, you know, about around relationships. You get to know, like, and trust me, or it's about doing. So if I say I'm going to do something, I keep my word, I do it, and therefore you trust me. And there's a continuum, and we all we fall into different. All the countries fall into different places along this continuum, and then personally as well. Um, so companies approach me because they're these young people who they recognize have skill, have talent, but they want to accelerate that leadership process because they know what it's like themselves. It takes time. It takes years to become a good leader. And they approach me because they want to fast track them because they don't have time to wait and they don't have time themselves. Very often I'm working with um, managers who do a lot of mentoring and coaching themselves with their team leaders. So they themselves are very much into developing um, both themselves and their team. So you already have that very open approach and mindset to the power of coaching. Yeah, I know that's great because it again, you're 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 it it sounds great because you're you're dealing with management and you're dealing with people who recognize that there's a need there for that. Uh, that's why my question earlier on about culture being a barrier to that, because I suppose you wouldn't be called unless there was somebody there to say or you know you we need to foster this talent moving up yeah. it's just the, the example i use and this is not even to do with leadership um i referred someone for a job once and they were coming from a social media business and they went in and they had a wonderful interview and um in the business they said um so what's the story do, do we get like free lunches do we get like free food do we get you know like the same way you get in one of these large social media companies and the guy doing the interview lovely guy he'd been in the business for years kind of was like rolled his eyes and afterwards he was like you know what this young person coming in and 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 you know like looking for all this free stuff that's not someone I'm going to hire and in my mind it was like you're looking at this incorrectly this is what people want do you know what I mean this is what you this is what your potential future employees want this is something that they look for when they're going to apply for a job so really it should be you should be adapting to to rather than dismiss this as somebody looking for like freeload and free food you should be saying this is somebody who this is something people want. And so there's an expectation that people have and, and, and you need to kind of adapt to that or, you, or you'll or you start losing a potential workforce. So that I, I use that as an example of, of, of a kind of a cultural aspect of a business where people are like, well, it's always been done this way and this is the way it's always been done. And that particular business I'm referencing had a lot of problems in and around leadership and things like that where they would promote internally based on uh, on on people's technical skill sets, which has happened an awful lot. And then you would take people and you'd put them into a position which required them to be man managers uh, or people managers and 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 they they didn't really excel at that. And I had a friend who worked at that business and and she was lovely and she was per very personable, very outgoing, very funny, very easy to get on with, very good at her job, promoted her to a manager and within two months she left. Um, essentially she could not deal with the she just didn't like dealing with the personality aspect of it. She's a very wonderful, outgoing person, but she also had no tolerance for some of the stuff that would arise. You know what I mean? Some of the things were like people, you know, absenteeisms and people coming and complaining about other people and that the whole personality side of it, she just couldn't. And you would think on paper looking at her that she'd be an ideal candidate for, for, for this position. Good listener, great. She just couldn't deal with that. She also hated giving negative feedback to people. It yeah. stressed her out and um, yeah. so she subsequently left and she's she's does a very technical job now where it requires her you know headphones on and um, working not interacting with anyone and she seems perfectly happy in that environment um but that was just my one experience with somebody who who i thought on paper would have great leadership skills and in actual fact 
they didn't. I, th I think that's the thing, isn't it? That organizations, we always, promotion um, is always around, it involves managing people, but sometimes people's specialities are actually subject matter experts and maybe giving them an opportunity to grow and develop in a different way around mentoring and sharing that knowledge and, um, you know, becoming the transformation expert because if they're really into that technology and they're always looking for new ways of doing things is that we have a very despite all the advances in technology when it comes to organizing organizations we are very traditional still in how we do that um, and yes we've moved away from you know everybody being in the office and we have remote and hybrid working um, which I think is fantastic um, but that requires a lot more intentionality when it comes to how you show up as a leader. And let's face it, it's much easier to do some coding than it is to deal with absenteeism and poor performance. But generally, um, you know, I think it's really important. One of the things I say to people is, you know, it, it's important how you set up the working relationship. Every team has to decide what are the ground rules, what's going to work for us. You know, overall, you'll have your organizational values. And, you know, people talk about values and they say, oh, yeah, we're into whatever, you know, it's on the website. But you, it, it's really interesting when you talk to people and, you know, when you see how they behave among each other and about each other, then you really see whether or not those values are just for show or whether they truly believe in them. Um, but uh, one of the things that's really important is as a new leader is is first of all, having the confidence in your own skills and the confidence to manage people who have probably have more expertise and knowledge than you. And that's really hard. And, and the negative feedback piece is a huge piece. It's really scary. It's something we don't learn at school. You know, it's, it's the teacher tells you that's rubbish, you know, whatever. Um, and you're, used to, you're used to always being in the wrong or you're used to always yeah. being, in, yeah, like yeah. that feedback is is I love feedback. I, I love when people are insanely blunt because I find it to be a very time saving um, exercise. Um, but uh, you do find that people shy away from that. It's, and I don't know if you're talking about difference in culture. I don't know whether that's an Irish thing because we're kind of like, well, we don't want to cause a bit of a ruckus here. And I know that exactly. maybe there's a, yeah. other nationalities who'd be like, well, what are you doing? Like, just tell me what I'm doing wrong or, you know. It's really interesting. Um you know, when it comes to culture, uh, there's certain cultures that are more direct than others when it comes to giving negative feedback, like um, the Dutch, the Germans, the Israelis, would you believe? So they call a spade a spade. Um, and the problem is that in Ireland, we are, you know, we, we were brought up with, you know, you, we might say to somebody, oh, you might want to think about that again. Or, um, you know, that's, that's a really good idea. Um, but have you looked at all the other options? You know, we generally tend to downgrade our feedback. Um, so if I'm speaking to somebody who's used to a more direct approach and I say that to them, they will not understand that. Hmm. So if I say to somebody, you might want to look at that again, they'll, they'll go look at it and go, no, that's really good. I'm really happy. But what in fact I'm saying is I'm not happy with that. It's rubbish. You need to redo it. Um, and you know, if unless we're aware of those differences, so it's almost like in the, so for for somebody from a very direct negative feedback background, um, they have to they wouldn't understand our indirect negative feedback because in their culture they're expecting you to say that's a load of rubbish, go do it again, and vice versa. 
if somebody says to me in a really direct way, I would be so offended, I would be out the door in two seconds because I'm like, how could you be so rude? You know, he has no idea how to manage people. He's a really bad. Yeah. So it's, and it gets really messy and really complicated. Um, but it's about, you know, when I work with people, it's about raising their awareness and saying, listen, you know, tell me about ne- what negative, what does negative feedback look like? Good negative feedback look like in your country, in your culture. What are you used to hearing? What have you noticed with the people around you? How do they do it? How does that make you feel? You know, so if you're used to calling a spade a spade, um, how do you do that with your team? It's about setting it up and it's about agreeing what's acceptable, what's not acceptable. Um, you know, it's not about saying this is the way we're doing it because I'm an Irish company and we're going to do it the Irish way. That, that day is gone. Um, so people get so afraid of, you know, thinking about how we should or shouldn't be doing it ask ask people and say listen guys you know we have a team here and somebody's from pakistan somebody else from serbia somebody else from germany you know let's have a conversation how would what's acceptable a great trick is you know to get everybody to write down to draw a wheel and divide it into sections and get everybody to write down on the wheel anonymously like we posted just write down for them what it looks like and put it up on the board and it's a great tool to use with teams to get people to get that shared understanding and how complex it is. Um, it's also the same with what does success or what does, um, you know, what does success look like in an organization? For some people, it will be snacks at lunchtime. For other people, it could be financial. For other people, it could be flexible working hours. We make so many assumptions. And I think as leaders, be it of a multicultural team or Um, a monocultural team it's unpacking those and talking to people and saying listen guys what does it look like for you and how can we agree on how we should want to work together and when you're doing the the the, when you're focusing on these these up-and-coming leaders are you are you incorporating the teams into it are you getting team feedback like you said there an interesting exercise is to put everybody down on a piece of paper are you incorporating their responses into that at the moment, I haven't been asked to work directly with the whole team. I've been yeah. asked to work directly. Um, the feedback I get back from, from because people love practical things, mm. you know, it just, it's so much easier to say, right, guys, you know, we're going to try this out. So the feedback I get back from them is that, that these are really useful and helpful. Um, and it really, it removes that focus on them as a leader and makes it about the team and how can the team work together and how do we communicate and what's acceptable and what's not acceptable. Um, And that's how you build trust. It's how you build loyalty. It's how you, you know, you build engagement. Um, It's, and it's brick by brick. It's not something that happens overnight. I tell you just uh, anecdotally from, uh, uh, from someone who works for himself, if you, uh, if you're a sole trader and you work on your own and you're, and you want to get an idea of Irish feedback, no emails back on a subject to me means they hate it. And I'm going to, if I have to, ch- if I do a video for someone and I have to chase them for an answer on what they thought of it, uh, or I don't hear back right away, it means they don't like it and they don't want to tell me that they don't like it. Uh, and I'll just keep going, watching it out, watching it out. And eventually they'll be like, it's really good, but can we do this? And I was like, you, we could have saved ourselves three weeks worth of emails if you would have just said straight up front, I don't like, I don't like expect people to like everything. Do you know what I mean? And everything can be changed. But I noticed that as a trend that happens when people don't like things. Not that it ever happens that often yeah. on me, but occasionally I just don't hear back for three weeks or something. 
Um, it's which generally interesting. Means... I worked in and lived in Italy for many, many years, and they're the opposite. So I was working with a partner and um, the client went absolutely, just lost it and was roaring and shouting. And I was going, oh, my God, this is the end. They were back the next day. Yeah, you got to strike because a happy in medium. their culture, it's perfectly acceptable to rant and rave and express what they're feeling. Um, and for me, coming from an Irish, it's why I'm so interested in culture. Um, so, you know, if you have that in a team dynamic, um, that person, you know, as be it the boss or a team member, and they're behaving or acting out like that way with somebody else, for in their to their lens, that's perfectly acceptable. But for the other people around them, and like that said, I'm never working with him again. I'm at, he's I, he, either they're out of here or I'm out of here. And that's why it's so important to understand that. And it's like that you intuitively, you know, that if you're dealing with an Irish person, no feedback is bad feedback. Yeah, because I, you know, I'd at least expect, oh, thanks so much. Yeah, thanks or whatever. But if you don't get anything, it's like this person does not want to deliver bad news to me. So now I have to chase them to inevitably tell me they don't like it, which is even worse. It's even bigger slap in the face. You know what I mean? I'm, I'm chasing an answer I already know. Um, but uh, yeah, so that, that that's fascinating. I, I would say the one other point I would say just about about uh, leaders and technical skills. I know from from not from my experience, I know from other people that sometimes businesses hire in somebody externally based on their technical skills to take over a team. And what it, what it means is that, as you were saying, that the the team already has the technical skill set. And um, that their their manager doesn't have or their leader doesn't have. So the expectation is that the leader is going to have the soft skills to fill that void. Do you know what I mean? So I don't know how to do this, but you know I'm going to work with you and the other stuff. But there is instances I where they've hired in people who I know one particular a friend of mine um, works for an Italian company actually, and they brought in somebody who had um, who, who who didn't have the technical skills. So it became quite apparent, and he, and he didn't have the soft skills. So what happened was, is, and he didn't seem to want to know the technical skills. So, so what happened was it bred this um, discontent amongst the team because he 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 wasn't he, it, their manager couldn't be seen as a reliable resource to help them when they were stuck, because he didn't have the technical skills to help them, and he didn't have the social the 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 soft skills to kind of deal with the personality side of it. So he was basically to them he was sort of a dead weight. Um, which meant that they ended up having to kind of carry him. And when he would do things for them, he, technical things, he might do them wrong or he'd do them slow because he didn't have the thing. And he sort of had a mindset of, well, it's not my job. And they sort of had a mindset of, well, we're all a team and we're supposed, you're supposed to help us. And inevitably, I think after a lot of back and forth, this person left one day and didn't come back. Do you know what I mean? But it was, it was all down to this idea to bring in someone from outside the team to run the team and 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 they couldn't do neither the technical or the soft side of it or or maybe they could do the soft side of it but so much resentment had built up over their lack of technical skills that it didn't matter so he, they, they it ended up collapsing in on itself um which is a yeah which which can happen i suppose so I, I, that's why i'm always fascinated when businesses uh, um bring in external uh, people for leadership roles um yeah i guess um you really need to know um, what your out the outcome that you want is first of all and secondly um, when you look when you do take that approach you really need to make sure that they really really do have the the soft skills um, you know I think the companies big companies do this all the time where they move senior managers around like one for one two years are in marketing two years are in HR two years are in R&D or whatever is that idea of cross um 
pollination of ideas and you know and, and approaches can be really 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 useful in an organization um but when you don't get that right and the person who's doing it and shows up and says listen guys i i, I know absolutely i cannot help you with the technical side of things um but here's where i can help you and this is what i'm going to do and tell me what else can i do and that's a very different, that, that team would probably have had a very different experience had that person showed up with that kind of a mindset is I'm here to serve you. You are basically because they're the engine of the organization. And if you don't look after your engine, it's going to fail. Um, well, so they had a very brave move. Perhaps they saw that a bit like your friend who's always calling you by your full name. Perhaps they read something in a, in a management magazine but and they didn't really think it through and they didn't really identify well if you're not going to show up with technical skills you want to have one heck of a set of soft skills i don't like using soft skills i used like to use the word empowering skills to that's, be that's a better I, soft skills is just the way i'm used to calling it but as a shorthand yeah. but yeah, empowering yeah. skills is, is that's what it's about is what do you need what resources do you need you know who do you need me to talk to um you know how can I make things easier for you so that you can show up and do your job? And then people don't look at you and think you don't have the technical skills. They look at you and say, you know how to get things done. You know how to get us the resources that you need. Um, and that would be a successful leader in that organization. Now, that said, I had a flip side of it. I had a manager who was uh, came from a technical side of it and he was phenomenal and he was a very good manager as well. And he was phenomenal to the point of when something went wrong, you'd be like, there's only one man who can save me in this situation and yeah. you would go to him and he would have the answer and um, but he was such a like the almost the entire people from other teams would come to him um to ask him for his advice and stuff because he was he was exceptional at his job and he was one of those people that we like every time he was promoted he was like makes perfect sense the guy's amazing puts in the hours does the work very personable and um, but he's just you know people were coming up from ringing him from Thailand and everything, asking him questions about their job. And he's like, well, I've been in this game so long. He's just very good. And and I will always have very fond memories of that. And it was a very stressful environment. Uh, and it was a very uh, high pressure environment where you ran to very tight margins, very tight deadlines. So having somebody like that steer the ship, uh, you always felt like I'm in safe hands. And he'd always go to bat for you as well, which was great. You know what I mean? If something went wrong, he'd be like, no, listen, we'll go to bat, hit back your corner. So it was having someone like that uh, it was an exceptional experience to work for and work with. I didn't work under, I worked with him. Jim was very helpful. And he'd always very encouraging as well. He'd always be encouraging you to try and take on extra projects, even though he didn't have the time to do it. Um, yeah, there so that was... You just listed all the attributes of a great leader, problem solver, coach, mentor, supportive, and open to new ideas. Yeah, that was, that was this guy in a nutshell. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, um, didn't matter about his technical background is that he had those core it's interesting that um there's a lot of research around leadership skills and they are the the, the core skills that doesn't matter what you are afterwards in terms of if you're in hr or if you're in tech or whatever these are the core skills every leader has to have regardless brilliant that's that's a that's a that's a great place to leave it actually but before i leave it I need to ask you a couple of questions just about your networking experience and yeah. and how you've and that's what I'm very curious about when you 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 you, you we've met through networking obviously we're talking about it on a networking podcast and this is a very unorganic way of bringing this up but I'll cut out that line but the, I suppose the point is I was trying to get across is what's the value for you in terms of is it it's probably a silly question but is it is it in terms of 
do you by by networking does it allow you to identify businesses that would need your services or are you looking for, like i suppose what i'm trying to get at is are you able to walk into a room and talk to a bunch of business owners and they say they kind of say well, this is what's going on they have a certain criteria and you're able to say okay well there's something here i can help or is it by going out and saying this is what i do the hope is that somebody will respond and say that's something we could do with if you know what i mean i think for me that um i've only recently joined venture to be honest um, and i think for me the most important first of all it's the instant sense of community and I, i'm i'm like you i'm a solopreneur so i just work for myself and i felt so welcome from the very first meeting um, and you have this wonderful experience of people who are there showing up for each other it's a bit like having your own company without <laughs> without a, yeah. a, you know and um it's really unusual and exceptional um and it's that sense of community and support and I, I love the fact that it's not about me trying to you trying to sell to me and me trying to sell to you it's about how can we support each other and that for me is key because I think that's for me a core an important value is I like to support people I don't want to be trying to flog you something that you don't really want um but it's that shared sense of support and community and also you get to ex- understand the challenges that other solopreneurs have and SMEs and larger scale businesses um, and you learn a lot from each other and I think that's really important um, and it's that's funny, what I love about it. It's funny you say that about you know supporting and not selling to each other and um, for years I was told that I'd be an exceptional sales rep by managers, by leaders, you should do sales. You're going to be, you'd be an amazing sales rep. You're an amazing sales rep because I could talk and you put me in a room with a bunch of strangers and I can talk and it's great and all that sort of stuff. The one principal thing, and I actually bought into it for a long time. I was like, yeah, I could totally be a sales rep. I'm great. And the one thing I realized is that I hate talking to people with an agenda. I hate talking to people. I, you put me in a room and you get me, I can fill the, I love work with silences. I'll fill that vacuum. I'll talk, whatever. But if you put me in there and you say, OK, you need to get X amount of people in this room, there's 10 people in the room and you need four people to buy your product dead in the water. Can't do it because I cannot talk to people in a agenda. It's the same way I could never talk to people in bars when I was younger, when I was out, because I, I, I always felt like this is not an organic conversation we're having. You think I'm talking to you because I'm trying to, do you know what I mean? So there was this whole thing that existed, so I couldn't do it. So um, it uh, just that made me think of when you were saying about supportive and not selling. I, uh, yeah, you're dead right. I couldn't sell to somebody. I can only, I can support somebody. I can talk about what I do, but I, I, I'd be incapable of selling. And, I, I, you know, that was many a manager identified that incorrectly and this is, as a skill set in me and actually pushed me to go for interviews and things like that for jobs that I would have been atrocious at do you know what i mean um uh because i just couldn't do it again a couldn't do it and b didn't believe in the products we were selling which is a little bit something you were talking about before about kind of buying yeah. into that culture just didn't believe it um uh didn't understand why didn't understand the values hey what's the values your business i don't know i get paid once a month and i keep my head down i try not to get in trouble and that's the values that count to me it probably doesn't breed for you know growth in the workplace um, and just a curiosity, were you, is this like uh, you expanding out and meeting other businesses? Have you been doing this since day one or is it something that you've just, um, you've gotten to a certain point in your business now where you're like, okay, I need to start connecting with people. I think, you know, a lot of, particularly in, in what I'm doing, coaching, training business, um, it's very much about, you can post, you can have the most amazing website, but people don't buy your, you know, pictures or articles they buy you know you and how they connect with you um and there's no doubt that 
that personal recommendation in this arena, certainly. And I think it applies to a lot of businesses as well. Is I think COVID actually really reinforced that. You know, it's different if you're buying um, actual physical products. When, when it comes to services, um, people want to know a little bit about you and they much prefer to work with people that, that, that you know, come with a recommendation from somebody they actually, whose opinion they value. Mm. Um, and I think that's really important, um, you know, particularly in, there's a lot of coaches out there in my business, there's a lot of coaches out there. Um, and yes, I'm, I'm a qualified coach, you know, I'm, I have an MBA, I'm a qualified coach and a trainer, uh, but there's a lot of people like that out there as well. And equally as capable probably of delivering really good quality work. And I think, you know, it's finding a niche in something that you're passionate about. And that's what I do is, you know, that combination of young leaders and cultural awareness, my two key passions, because I lived abroad for so many years, I felt the pain of both of those arenas. And I believe that what I do makes a difference to people. That's all that matters, really. Um, yeah. that's, that's enough I to get you out of bed every day and, 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 really and keep plugging away. I love it. You know, I absolutely love it. It's very, very fulfilling. And it's taken me a long time to find this place. Um, I think, you know, I've had lots of different careers and jobs. Um, and I always, I always say that to my kids, you know, they're worried about what are we going to do in university and going, you know what, do what you love. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, good at um, don't do arts in UCD I mean <laughs> no kidding <laughs> that's just four years of partying and then you figure out afterwards do, do, do something that has that you enjoy not something yeah, that you're yeah. like I'll just do arts I suppose which is the ultimate shrug your shoulders I guess I'll do arts um coming from a man who desperately wanted to get into arts only because he didn't know what to do in college and just wanted to spend four years hanging out with his friends um no I'll leave it I'll leave it there uh thank you so much for coming on to chat with us and um uh best of luck with everything Thank you very much. And I appreciate your time. It was really enjoyable. That was an amazing chat with Sharon. I really enjoyed it. That went on far longer than that edit. If you want to find out more about Sharon and what she does, head over to SharonDemille.com. You are listening to the Venture Talks podcast and the Ventures Business Network. You can subscribe to this podcast, as always, from wherever you listen to podcasts. If you are interested in finding out about networking, about the power of networking, why don't you head over to the Venture Network itself, www.venturenetwork.ie. You can roll up your sleeves, you can dive in, you can meet the gang, you can find out what it takes to network in an excellent networking group that's going to set you on the track to success. If you want your business featured on the podcast, why don't you drop me an email at info at We love to hear about new businesses and what it is you're doing, and we'd love to hear what you're up to. As always, I'm Rob Fitzhugh. I'm your host. Until next time, stay safe and stay connected.